Well, my name is Randy Hahn, and I like religion. Sounds like the beginning of an addiction group, doesn't it? Of course, when you hear what they talk about religion today, that it's kind of the source of every problem in your life, and it's the source of all problems in the world, I guess maybe saying that you like religion is something to confess. It is something to get over. You know, I have a, I don't know what the, the experience of the average Southern Baptist pastor is. Uh, I, I, I think mine is a little bit varied. I, I grew up first 13 years, I went to a, a Presbyterian church, and then we migrated out of that into Southern Baptist church. But even as I was going to a Southern Baptist church at the same time I was going to an all boys Catholic high school. So I was getting Catholicism every day and uh, they are very good about giving it to you every day. And uh, so I was doing that. Then I graduated from college and went to, uh, went to seminary and I got my doctorate from a Southern Baptist seminary, but my main seminary degree uh, I got from a non-denominational Seminary. So I've been all over the place, all, you know, trying to figure out who I am, what I am. But, uh, and then even as I finished all that and began into ministry, I've had a lot of opportunities, some of which you've heard to, to travel. And I've had a chance to kind of on their turf, firsthand experience, see Islamic way of life, Islamic worship, Hindu way of life, Hindu worship. And, and I say all that to say that the weirdness of religion, because we think other people are weird, don't we? If they're not in our denomination, if they're not in our religion, we, we tend to look at what they do as, as weird, if not wrong. And, and it tends not to be that weird to me because I've, I've been around it a lot. I, I guess I would say I'm mostly intrigued by religion. Now, I want to be clear what I mean by that. I, I'm not saying I'm intrigued because I believe all religions have value and, and some truth we can learn because they don't. I'm not saying I'm intrigued because I think there's some kind of cool exercise to look at the differences and look at the similarities. No, I'm intrigued by what I see in religion as the overwhelming evidence of humanity that we absolutely know there's a God and we absolutely know something's not right between me and that God. And, and, and religion is mankind's way of trying to clean up the mess. Hold on to that word clean, by the way. We're going to be using that a lot today. But that, that's what religion, we come up, hey, how did this culture decide they would try to clean up the mess? How, how about this culture? How about this group of people? And we have all these people, all these ways of cleaning up our, our mess. Now, in Christianity, we're kind of noted for saying Christianity is not a religion, it's a it's a relationship, right? We don't know. We don't do the religious thing. We have a relationship. And while that is absolutely true, do you realize we have an incredible propensity to bring a religious attitude and kidnap Christianity? And it can become just like a religion. And, and that's what Jesus is going to confront for us today. Let's see how he does that. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 7? We're continuing our study of this great gospel. I say it every week. I'm going to say it again today. Our purpose is the same as Mark's was when he wrote this gospel to those first century believers in Rome. Our purpose in the series, our purpose in reading today's passage is to embolden and strengthen faith in following Christ no matter the cost. And folks, there's places, there's times where the cost goes up. And we want a faith that can hold on to Christ, whatever that cost might be. Now, today's passage is a little different 
than the passages we've been looking at. We've looked at a lot more narrative, a lot more story about who Christ is. We've looked at some messages about what he is like. And then, of course, the last three weeks, man, we've hit some really cool stories looking at the power, the power of Christ in the physical realm, the spiritual realm, and then last week in the realm of death. But, But today's passage is teaching. Jesus is engaged in a conversation, that's the nicest word, in a conversation with the the Pharisees and scribes, and and he is going to teach something. And in this teaching, what we're looking for is, now why would I consider what he's saying a reason to follow him no matter the cost? Be be thinking that as we read that. Let's see what he says, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him... Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Okay, I guess he's not that impressed by their question. As it is written, and boy, folks, as we read this line, gosh, this is a, this is a tough line. And I think that's anybody that's grown up in religion, periodically, you need to ask yourself, hey, God, am I... Am I doing this? Is there a place where I have a tendency toward action and words that's not backed by any real heart? Because Jesus is talking to the most religious people, the most faithful people of the day. And he says of them, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban. That's a word that means something offered, given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now, folks, here's the funny thing. That last phrase, that's the important one. And many such things you do. The parenting thing, how we treat our parents, just an illustration. The real problem is I could add about a hundred more illustrations is what Jesus is saying here. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again. And he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside of a person that is going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come, and let me just pause right here, folks. There is a multitude of rules you can obey a church. 
a multitude of traditions that you can obey in church. And you can do so good at it. Man, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a, others call me a religious person. And while you're doing all of that, in your heart are evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. There's theft and murder. Adultery. Coveting. Wickedness. Deceit. Just deceiving others. Just for your gain. To protect you. Sensuality. Envy. Slander. There's pride. Foolishness. Hey, that's, that's the stuff that makes you filthy. That's the stuff that makes you unclean. That's the stuff that really makes you not like God. Not whether you adhere to some tradition over here or not. Our story starts off with a, uh, a group of Pharisees from Jerusalem. Kind of think of that as headquarters, okay? And the way the story means, it, it seems like there's a group of scribes up in Capernaum, up where Jesus is, and maybe they've reported to headquarters Maybe it's just the stories. You know, I've said Jesus is mostly up in the north part of Israel. He's up around the, the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And to this point, Mark, that's where he's been. But while that is where Jesus is located, man, the, the stories are sweeping the country. I mean, literally sweeping the entire nation. People are, hey, I saw this and I heard this and I watched him do this. And they're traveling just like you and I. I mean, sometimes we're working at home. Sometimes we travel and people are talking. And the stories about Jesus are spreading everywhere. And finally, somebody in Jerusalem, somebody headquarters says, we better go up there and check this Jesus thing out. This thing's getting out of control. And so they go up and they get this audience with Jesus. Now think, what, what have they heard? They've heard the same things you and I've heard. They've heard the things we've been talking about now for, for this fall. Man, they've, they've heard about but show no interest in, no questions, no awe, no, 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 no questions. Did you, did you really raise a dead girl, man? How did you do that? What was that like? You're casting demons out of people? Where, where does that power come from? You walk on water. You calm the storm. You fed 5,000. You, you raised a lame man. No, no stories like that. You know what their big question is? Are your disciples washing their hands right? You be, he, what? As we heard last night on the radio, swing and a miss. I mean, really, do you read that and think, what, where, what, who are you talking to, God? Talk about completely missing it. I have our time, and I know, I'm sorry, moms and dads, I know times I get confronted with this periodically because I say words in the pulpit we teach our kids not to say. But these guys are idiots, aren't they? I mean, what a bunch of idiots. Do you know the same thing inside them that makes them idiots is in us? The very same thing where they can miss God for their rules. Folks, that's in you and me also. Now, Judaism, there's a big thing in the Jewish faith about clean and unclean. Okay, that, as a matter of fact, even today, you hear the word kosher. You hear that? Kosher, kosher hot dogs. Uh, when you're looking at something that is kosher, it's being described, that's a clean versus unclean issue. Now, you have to understand, we bring no understanding to that word. When we're hearing, this is not about germs. It's not about washing. This is not about employees washing their hands before they go back to work, okay? It's funny, I had prepared this sermon and that line and I was in a, in a public restroom this week and I got this picture and I said, 
How perfect, man. That's exact. This, this is not what clean and unclean is about. And I saw that picture there in a public restroom and I took my camera out and I took a picture of it. And not only did I great, get a great picture, but I learned something. You, most of the time probably shouldn't pull out your camera in a public restroom. <laughs> not, not everybody's okay with that. So anyway, but that's, this is not what clean and unclean is about. The food laws, not about healthy nutrition. Okay? Now, I don't think God gives dumb ideas. I don't think God gives wrong ideas. But when he gives those laws, it's not about here's the healthy and most important way to eat. Here's how to keep clean. This is what God is doing in all, in all the laws, folks. You, you remember the story of Moses? Okay? So there's like 70 people that go into Egypt. And they become slaves in there. And over 400 years later, Moses goes in and leads them out. Now 2 million strong. And God has got this great idea. He says, hey, when we leave Egypt, we're going, we're going back to the promised land. And when we get there, man, I'm going to live with y'all. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And the world's going to watch this. They're going to watch how you and I relate. They're going to watch how y'all relate with each other. And just the way we love on each other, the way we relate, the whole world's going to say, I want some of that. Hey, I want, to, I, want to, I want to know your God, and it's just going to be really cool. Now, there is one problem. You guys are filthy. You're filthy. Now, again, don't think germs. Don't think about how you keep your room. And some of you, by the way, need to clean up your room. I'm confident. But when he says filthy, he's talking about what's going on inside your heart. He says, man, you really live in some ways. You really act in some ways that are really unlike me. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable living with you if that's what you're going to be like and, and, and that's what you're going to do. And folks, that's where the clean and unclean. When you hear clean and unclean, don't think germs. Don't think dusting and straightening up. Think holy, unholy. Spiritually pure, spiritually impure. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. And we're impure. And so God gives all these laws. Starting in Exodus 20, we get the Ten Commandments. And then all the way through Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, big hunk of of numbers, big hunk of Deuteronomy, we're getting the law. Probably the center of that is Leviticus. That's the book we avoid like a plague, right? Come on, y'all. When's the last time you've read Leviticus? That's my point. Man, you go in there and there's just rule after rule after rule after rule. It just seems kind of boring and and irrelevant. And man, I'm glad we don't do that. Man, folks, go to Leviticus this week. And, and love that book. Because what God is doing in giving all these laws is he's giving us a discipline. He is giving us a way of looking at life. And when you read through Leviticus, what you should see is, wow, holiness touches everything. Because you're going to see God talk about mildew on the walls. Mildew in your clothes. He's going to talk about where you go to bathroom and how you deal with that. That's weird. He's going to talk about our relationships with each other, what we do, what we don't do, money, marriage, sex. And and as you're just overwhelmed by this multitude of rules, what you're left with is, man, if I'm going to be holy, if I'm going to be clean, there's not a second that I'm not walking on this earth that that holiness doesn't speak to that. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, holiness speaks to that. I'm supposed to be overwhelmed by that and get to the place of, hey, God, I can't do this. God, I can't can't keep all this. I can't understand all this. But you know what we do? Isn't this crazy? As if there's not enough there to obey. You know what we do? We add to the rules. 
And this is where religion starts to come in. We, we add to it. Now, you know what? I think there is actually sometimes some good intention in this. I mean, I think there's an element in which we all do this. Man, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm, I'm trying to understand it. And I come to say, hey, wow, man, I shouldn't be going there. Man, I read this and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, I should, probably shouldn't say those words. Not every day, not out loud. Hey, I, maybe I shouldn't dress like that. And, and so what we do is as we're reading scripture, we come up with uh, applications, the way we're going to live, what God's word is saying. We come up with principles. That's all good, folks. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to dialogue with others about. But what happens, what can happen is our applications and our principles start to rise up and they become God's word. In some cases, they leave God's word. Isn't that what we saw happening here? See, there was these laws about giving offerings and, and vows and, and, and the Pharisees are trying to figure out how to interpret that and do that. And they ended up making a law that you could ignore the well-being of your parents as long as you said, well, one day I plan on dedicating that to God. They say, wait a minute, you, you're coming up with rules that deny God's word, that are in contradiction to God's word. We're more comfortable with our rules. Boy, aren't you glad we don't do that today? Do you notice Jesus said, you obey the tradition of your elders. It didn't say you obey God's word. You obey the tradition of your elders. We have traditions, don't we? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, we have traditions. Um, you know, especially in this service, I don't think this is much of an issue. But I, I think some of us, we've been around long enough. We remember if you went to church in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and I, I think it probably goes back further than that. But, you know, when we went to church, we put on our Sunday. Oh, man. Every, yeah, so you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, there's a way you dress when you go to church. As a matter of fact, that rule, and it is a rule, that law is so strong we're not entirely uncomfortable making somebody uncomfortable if they don't dress right. I went to church for decades where we were very comfortable with people not being comfortable. We were very comfortable with people didn't come to church because they, they didn't dress right. They couldn't dress like we dressed. Do you know how many verses in the Bible talk about how we dress when we go to church? Zero. Zero. That tradition is so strong in the American church mentality. We're confident it's in there. So I don't know where it is, but it's in there somewhere. No, no, it's not. Not one single time does God address what we're supposed to wear. And yet for decades, if not centuries, the American church was very comfortable saying, you're not welcome here. If you're not dressed right. Oh, we didn't say it, but everybody knew what was going on, right? Oh, and we, folks, that's just one illustration. It's not about dress. I mean, y'all start dressing bad pretty soon. Even the pastor won't be wearing a tie. The whole place is just going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, there, but folks, there's all kinds. Every denomination, every church, we have our traditions. And that's what we tend to check off and say that we're okay and look down. You know, by the way, you can dress up and we did it all during the 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s. We can dress up and be good American church people. When in our heart, there's greed, there's anger, 
Never being content. I want what you have. Totally disappointed with what I have. All that's thriving, prospering, and growing in our... See, folks, our rules don't deal with the heart. Our rules give us a checklist that we can say, I'm okay. And it's even better if my checklist I can use to push you down. Because if I can see how clean and bad you are, that just makes me feel better about myself. And folks, it's this concept. It's this that I'm talking about. What's going on? This is what, hey, just asking a question. Are your disciples, are they washing their hands? And you see Jesus just coming out of the chute filled with fire, right? Why? Because he's angry about this. He's angry that maybe for four or five decades, all groups of Americans felt like they couldn't come to church because they couldn't dress right. Makes them angry. By the way, is there anything wrong with dressing up for church? Of course not. Of course there's nothing wrong with that. Don't make it a rule. Don't make it a rule. And so as Jesus is dealing with this hand washing, parents, these food, I think he's saying two things here. And there's a fine line between the two things. I may be more confusing than I am helpful here. I think he's really only saying one thing. But let me try to say two things. In verses 8 to 13, he's saying, listen, you can obey rules and have no heart for God at all. Do you see that? You're you're washing your hands right. You're you're keeping these vows and offerings. Completely unaware that you're telling people to do the exact opposite of what God told them to do. You, You can be obeying the church traditions, the church rules, the law. You can be doing all that and have absolutely no concept of where that came from, of why God said to do that. If God even said to do that. No, no heart. He says, you've got no heart for God at all. You're, you're, you're completely uh, separated from him. You know what, folks? And then we turn around and, and, and again, when there's no heart for him this way, guess what? There's no heart for people this way. And so in religion, we become mean. Now we really like talking about, you know, Islam. Now they're mean, right? We like talking about other religions and how religion makes people mean, but religion makes Christian people mean, right? When when a religious mentality comes in and kidnaps Christianity, we become mean. We become condemning. We become uncaring. Listen, God's rules are are, going to lead you to love people, serve people, and care for people. Now, you know, there's aspects of the world out there that say, man, I've been waiting for the church to finally say that. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about rules. It's just about love. Well, no, that's not exactly what I said. You know what, folks? Love communicates when things are wrong, right? I mean, if I got a child, I'm teaching him to drive, and he turns down a one-way road the wrong way, it's the loving thing to say, well, he just loves turning right. (laughs) Makes him feel good. You know, he really, honestly, there's just a propensity in his life toward right, and and he feels better about himself if he goes right. I don't want to crush his little spirit, break his little heart. I mean, we laugh, folks. That's... You're looking at the predominant philosophy of our culture today. That, that it's somehow to say something is wrong. Now, here's what we need to do as a church. First of all, let's stop confronting people over our rules. Let's confront people with stuff that we can actually open a Bible and say, hey, do you see this right here, man? What do you think about that? I'm interpreting it this way. I think you've taken a, a, a wrong turn down a road that's only one way. That's, that's going to hurt you. That's going to... That's going to hurt somebody else. And boy, what does scripture say, man? When I am doing that, do it with humility because we turn down one-way roads too, don't we? 
which is very, very sensitive to that. And, and, and we're, we're pointing to what God's word actually says. Listen, folks, you are doing some very right and good things that are not in the Bible. You've read the Bible, you've interpreted it, you said, I don't believe I should go there. I don't believe I should do that. And there is nothing wrong with it. That's good. But be careful about judging others with your interpretation of what scripture says we should do in our world today. Be careful with that. Hey, that doesn't mean you can't dialogue with them about it, but go back to what God's word actually says. And then the second thing, when we're confronting others, let's check our heart. See, a religious mentality needs to judge others because when I push you down, it lifts me up. When I see how dirty you are, it makes me feel a little cleaner. Remember, the real issue here is we're guilty and filthy and we're trying to cover that up. But when we do this in Christianity, man, we approach not with a desire to condemn. We approach with a desire to redeem. Man, I love you. I, I want to I follow Christ and I would love to be able to follow him with you. I want us together to celebrate. And, and man, I, I, don't, I don't think you can follow closely. If it, Man, let's talk about this right here. There's a, a, a desire to redeem. Listen, if you're doing of religion... If your doing of Christianity does not blow open your heart for God and blow open your heart for others, then I'm pretty sure that Jesus here is calling you a hypocrite today. That's a tough word. If you don't find an ever-expanding heart for God and an ever-expanding heart for people, and people means your best, buddiest Christian friends all the way down to the stranger, maybe even down to the God-hater, if your heart's not being blown wide open for that, then there's a good chance that what you're really doing is religion and hypocrisy and not a relationship with Christ. The second thing, real quickly, Jesus says is that, if you, is that you can obey his rules and have a heart apart. Remember the last time I said you can have a heart, you can have no heart for God. This is a heart apart from God. No heart, no mind, no thought, no, no direction toward him. Apart means you're moving apart from him. You're moving in an antagonistic way. You're moving opposite of where he's moving. See, remember, you've heard me say this a lot. God tells us to tell the tr- not to lie because he's what? He's truth. See, it's not just a rule, not just a hoop to jump through. He is truth. And, and, and so we, we want to be truthful people. But see, what's happening here is we can start approaching the rules. Eat these things. Don't eat these. Oh, I can, I can, I can check that off. And Jesus is, I mean, you're checking stuff off. You're checking these rules off. At the same time, your heart is completely the opposite of God. Do you realize I can check off? I, I went to church at 11 today. But by the way, in our, of course, in our church, we meet, we got services everywhere and we change it about every year, don't we? But didn't in the 70s and 80s, we knew somewhere in the Bible it said go to church at 11 o'clock, didn't we? I mean, that's, that's what God intended, okay? So I went to church at 11, I dressed right, I sang the right songs, I didn't say these three words out loud, and, and, I, and I don't go here. I can check all that off, and inside there it is growing. Inside there it is prospering. We don't obey rules with a focus of heart change. We obey rules to tell ourselves that we're okay. You know, the amazing thing is we actually have a new religion growing in, in America today. A lot of you think the fastest growing religion is Islam in America. It, yeah, it's pretty close. I think actually the fastest growing religion in America today is the religion of irreligion. Remember, what, what is every human heart on this planet trying to do? Deal with their guilt. 
deal with the fact that they're not like God. And there's a new religion that says, hey, I know how to no longer feel bad about the rules. Just get rid of all of them. If there's no rules, then you're not breaking any. It makes about as much sense as saying, if we just get rid of all the mirrors, I won't have bedhead in the morning. If we get rid of all the doctors, then there's nobody to tell me I'm sick and now I'm healthy. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's, that's kind of our culture. There are no rules. Let me tell you folks what we need for our heart. We, we don't need more rules. We don't need better rules. Jesus is not Judaism 1.2. Okay? We don't need no rules. What we need is Jesus Christ. When he declares all foods clean, he's not dismissing the Old Testament. He's not saying, okay, we're not, we're not, that was a mess. That didn't work. We're getting rid of that. No. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to dismiss any of the law. I came to fulfill it. And so, and now instead of you trying to eat certain things and not seat certain things so you can feel good about yourself, which you didn't do perfectly anyway. Now, instead of coming up under that law, you're going to come up under me. Instead of relying on a law you never could keep, you're going to rely on me. I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep the law for you. And I'm going to pay for all the places you didn't. I like the way 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says it. It says, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin. Folks, that's the definition of unclean. And he didn't know any uncleanness, did he? So Jesus in his purity, Jesus in his holiness, Jesus in his cleanliness is standing there and God literally picks up all the filth in you, all, all the filth in me. He scoops up all this filth and all this filth is placed on Christ. And, and in a moment when the filth of humanity just enveloped him, then the wrath of God fell. Because that filth has to be cleaned up. It's not okay. The wrath of God fell on that to clean up the filth, to, to bring about justice. And now I can come up under Christ, not the rules I try to, either the ones God gave or the ones I made up, but rather I come up under Christ and in him I become clean. In him, I become the righteousness of God. Folks, the cross was meant to be the end of all of our religious experiments. It was meant to be the end of all of our rules and all of our tradition. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, hey, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Man, I want to give you rest. If you're worn out trying to find the right rule, the right religion to cover the guilt, if you're worn out at the failure of you keeping all those, listen, if you're tired, come to me, man. Rest in me. Come up under me. I'll give you rest from all that. I'll keep the rules you didn't keep. I'll pay for all the places you didn't do it. And in me, you'll be righteous. In me, you'll be clean. Now, again, folks, there's an aspect in which we can say that. And the irreligious crowd says, man, that's what I've been waiting for. It's not about rules. We don't need any rules. No, no, we, we have rules. In the Christian faith, we have two. Did you know that? There's only two rules that we live by in the Christian faith. Number one, love God. 
Everything you are, everything you have, every fiber of your being, love God. And then Jesus says, now the second rule, it's really like it. In other words, he's saying it's not really two rules. It's really one rule because if you're doing one, you're doing the other. And if you're not doing the other, then you're not doing this one. You, you love God and you, you love others. That's the rule that you and I live by. Now, how do we love? How do we love? Because we got such a wishy-washy description and definition of, of love in our, in our world today. What, what does love mean? You know, uh, y'all know, did I mention I went to Texas A&M? You're familiar, okay, some of you are familiar. I went to Texas A&M. So let's say that you, you love your pastor. Gosh, who doesn't? Um, you love your pastor. You think, man, I want, you know what? I want to get something really, really special. I mean, I want to I want to sacrifice. I want to get something really big. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy Pastor Randy round trip tickets for he and his family six times next year to fly to Austin, Texas. And I'm going to get them season tickets to see the Texas Longhorns play. Now, did, did you do something really big? Yes, you did. Did you have a lot of passion behind it? Yes, you did. Was it very sacrificial? I mean, that cost a lot, right? Do I feel loved? No, no. No, I don't, I don't want to go see the Texas Longhorns. Don't, don't feel loved at all. You may have meant well. You may have had a lot of passion and excitement in it. You may have spent a lot. Don't feel one bit loved. You see, love serves the other in who they are and as they are and always according to what is right and good. And so you say, well, I thought there was a whole lot more rules in the Bible than just two. No, folks, what we have in the Bible... We have two rules, love God and love others. And then the Bible tells me what that love looks like. How to do it? It says, hey, you know what? If you're going to love others, you got to tell them the truth. Lying doesn't love others. Not lying to them, not lying about them, not deceiving them for your gain. Hey, you can't treat other people immorally. That's not love. That's not love of me. That, that's not love of the other. That's the one-way road. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt. doesn't matter if it both feels good, if, it, if you're both getting something out of it, if you both feel. That, that's not love. Hey, you know what's not love? Man, I don't ever feel loved when you bow down to your little idols every day. Oh, Lord, we don't do that. That was, a, you know, the superstitious culture way back then. We don't bow down to idols. Every day we do. We don't call it an idol. We call it a mirror. Because so often what is inside that mirror is my God. My dream. My agenda. Ultimately, too, my way. My way. And that's what we give our lives to serving. Guess what? God doesn't feel loved in that. We're not loving him. We're not, we're not loving others. So see, I, I approach God's word now. Oh, this is a big rule book. A lot of it's irrelevant, doesn't fit in society. No, it's a very relevant book. It tells me today how I can love God. And it tells me how I can love you. All of this is not about rules to jump through. And to hold over you so that I can feel better about all this is a way to love him. I've, I've been freed from the rules. I've been freed from that. I've been freed from religion. And I've been freed to love. And you know what? I fail at that. I would love to tell you an illustration about how I failed at that 18 years ago. I don't do it anymore. But no, I, fail. I failed this week. I failed at loving God this week. I failed at loving others this week. Sometimes the two things were mutually Tied together. I did that more times than I want to confess to. Man, I'm so grateful I'm not depending on those rules to tell me I'm okay. I'm depending upon Christ. 
And in his forgiveness, motivated by his forgiveness, his acceptance, and that I'm already clean, I say, hey, I'm sorry for those places today. I didn't love you very well and I didn't love others. And out of your love for me, I pray that'd be just kind of like a fresh motivation to get out there and try again, right? And love. So let's go out and do everything God told us. Not because we're trying to clean something up. Because we just love him that much. We want to love others. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is an extremely difficult message to sort through. Some of us in here are so indoctrinated, in, in, encompassed by religion, and so much of the language and the feelings is just a razor-thin difference. Lord, I'm confident that inside this church today, there has been good people, good American religious Christians who you'd call hypocrites. You'd say that what they've been doing is vain. Lord, I, it's easy for us to dismiss ourselves from the Pharisees. We've kind of made them into, you know, these bad, evil persons. Lord, I pray we'd realize the Pharisees were the most upstanding citizens in the community. They were, they were people who went to church every week and they, they did it all right. And that's who you had your harshest words for. God, I don't, I don't even... I'm not even sure how to pray this. What, what, do, what needs to be broken through, God, so that we can think honestly about ourselves and whether we're depending upon our rules and our religious traditions and how good we keep them, even with a bunch of Jesus vocabulary, or have we genuinely come up under you, clinging to you, holding on to you? And from the cleanness we find in you, just an overwhelming desire to love you to love people around us. God, help us discern through all that and figure out what step we need to take. Lord, there may be somebody here today that this is their very first time in a church and there may be somebody else that's been in this church for 30 years and both need to take the exact same step to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and find rest, to find forgiveness. Maybe there's people in here who need to engage in and join the church. Not, not to join a building where we can learn another set of rules, but to join a building where we exercise and experiment, love on each other, so we can go out there and love a world that's a lot more difficult. God, what's the next step that we need to take? Holy Spirit, guide us in that. Help us to discern. Help us to do what is right. May we not be comfortable just taking steps because may we know why we're doing what we're doing. And I pray what we're doing blows our heart wide open for you and for people. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.